Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 32, and today I'm joined by Alistair Handley of Radical. Alistair, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to join you. Right on. Cool. So we got you uh, in Calgary today. I'm in uh, what is usually sunny southern Ontario, but uh, had rain flow through. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to have a, a great uh, conversation about uh, the new world that we're moving into uh, from an energy space, and we're really happy to have Alistair with us. He's uh, he's an advisor with the World Bank Group, and uh, he's uh, presented to the uh, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and um, done many, many other uh, cool and fun things, but uh, less of me and more of him. Alistair, can you kind of give a, your origin story? Uh, how did you come to this space? Uh, what have you worked on? Uh, what excites you? And then we'll jump into a conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I've been working in in emission markets or carbon markets since 2007, actually got our start in Alberta, and at the time was developing uh, software systems to eliminate some of the, the, the barriers to market participation and, and make things more effective and more efficient. And in 2008, uh, created the company that has now become Radical, and we have uh, been working in the very successfully in Western Canada since 2008 and have expanded into the United States and into Brazil in the last few years. And I think the really neat thing about our organization is that it, it actually is proving that doing good for the environment can be very can, can be profitable and it can create jobs. Uh, we hired nine people during COVID just to keep up with the, the increasing demand for the services we're providing. So wow. it's, it's exciting times. Very cool. So talk to us a little bit about um, what Radical does. You mentioned uh, the software piece. Um, clearly you guys are growing. Like what, what is it that Radical does? What's your space in the market? So we describe ourselves as an emission reductions company. And what we're doing today is we're helping organizations in a, in a number of different, uh, with a number of different service offerings. So one is, is helping organizations just measure and report their own carbon footprint, their, their, their own emissions. Uh, then we can help them develop uh, corporate strategies. So a corporate carbon strategy, if you will, to think about what they want to do to reduce emissions or become greener and cleaner as time goes on. We are also in the business of developing carbon credits that we will sell into existing carbon markets. So for many of our clients, uh, many of them are able to take advantage of markets. So when they create emission reductions, they can convert them into credits and create a revenue stream. Mm -hmm. um, for those that need credits, we act as a facilitator of transactions. So we will go out and acquire credits for them as well. And now we're moving into portfolio management of credits because these these are really a high value commodity not just in Canada but around the world and and there's an opportunity to be investing in these assets um, for all sorts of different reasons from a from a commercial sense okay and and we have this software system that underpins virtually all of those activities that we're doing okay um. So, so whether it's the baseline establishments, the emissions reduction opportunities, it's the management of the credits. 
it all flows through kind of the software that is, is this the software that you've developed? Yeah, it's a software we've developed and, and we're on our, I don't know what iteration of the, the platform now. We've been redeveloping it. Uh, so yesterday we were thinking about what are we going to call it? And, and internally at a strategy session, we started to use the, the name Radical X as the, the software platform. I don't know if that's what we'll go with in the long run, but that's what I'm using internally because we've, <laughs> we've got too many versions. So as they amalgamate, it's just Radical X. And we'll see. Could call me in a month or two, and I'll tell you if that's the name we're going with. Cool. So you're, let's kind of step through each of those a little bit more in more detail. So this, the, the first kind of area that I think you talked about was really helping uh, clients um, get, a, get a handle on what their carbon or emissions footprint is. Um, I guess maybe before that, are you, are you focused just on carbon? Or are you looking at all sources of emissions? Um, it's really all sources of emissions, right? That's actually one of the reasons I don't, I don't like the word carbon because it's often misconstrued. So I say we're an emission reductions company. Uh, carbon, you know, when we talk about carbon in this space, it's really being uh, used as a unit of measure of a, a carbon dioxide equivalent from a global warming potential. So when I say carbon, it, it could be methane, it could be N2O, it could be all sorts of greenhouse gases. Right. Uh, and, because functionally, we need to figure out how to reduce them, reduce them all without killing, killing off the economy, right? So it, it's a balancing act. Right. And so in that initial phase of, of establishing kind of the, 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 the profile of the emissions of the, the facility, whether it be an, an industrial site or a, uh, an institutional facility, but there is a to walk us through if, if somebody was listening to this for the first time. What's that process look like to get to, like, does the software do that or there's some, there must be some boots on the ground aspect uh, as you engage with a client in that case? Yeah, no, there's, there's certainly boots on the ground um, aspect and, and data gathering. I think what we are really, the, the real objective in doing this assessment is to, to do it in such a manner uh, so that we're doing it consistently and so that it, it's transparent and that we're collecting data and evidence that demonstrates that the emissions being reported are are factual, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is really critical is, is this issue of transparency and, and quality. So it's, it's one thing for someone to say, well, this was my natural gas bill um or this was my natural gas amount but let's see let's see the proof right so it's really looking going through an organization and looking at their energy consumption what they're doing and then converting those that energy use into a carbon dioxide equivalent number um and then being able to give them the system so that they can start to track that on a regular basis and then they can start to look at well, what technologies might they use or what behaviors might they change that will lower those emissions over time? <laughs> Go ahead. I'll, say, I'll give you a, a, a case in point in the oil and gas sector because that's a sector uh, that's in Canada that, that's important. And we look specifically at methane emissions. And under the federal regulations and provincial regulations, there's reduction targets for methane emissions. 
And one of the challenges is, is getting accurate data from upstream oil and gas facilities to quantify what the vented emissions are. So emissions being vented, if you will, is a normal course of business. And what emissions are fugitive, which are being vent or leaked accidentally into the air. So on, in that case, for our oil and gas clients, we have a specific software package that they can take out to the field to conduct a detailed inventory with upstream oil and gas facility. And we will know uh, what their vented emissions are. And then we can provide them with a, a plan to go in and replace some of that equipment so they reduce their emissions. And it, it's, it's all verifiable. Okay. Okay. And, and does the software offer the ability to, like, like how frequent or live, current, whatever the term is, is the, um, and maybe that changes depending on the situation, but is this like a, an annual update? Is it a monthly thing? Is, is there a, an opportunity to do kind of live tracking of, of emissions? Like how flexible is the software in that regard? It's, yeah, that's really from a data management perspective. So we're dealing with some equipment suppliers right now who are putting, you know, they're, they're having real-time monitors, if you will, or meters on their systems, and they've got that SCADA component where we could get too much data just about, right? So it's really what we're trying to do is is we're trying to provide solutions so that people can start to take action without having to make a, a massive investment in a new technology. So if someone's got a SCADA system, fantastic. If they don't have a SCADA system, well, what can we do that's appropriate that's not going to put an unreasonable burden on that organization such that they don't want to do anything? Right, okay. Yeah, so, so find, finding a system that matches kind of their current or maybe slightly incremental improvement to how they're collecting data today your system can bolt on to whatever they're doing so that they get they get feedback um without a lot of upfront investment kind of thing yeah we're we're importing that uh, that that we can import data into the system and they can collect it in the field and in the ideal world and what we're able to do right now in alberta is in instances where people are investing in technology to that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions, we're able to convert those emission reductions into carbon credits, which have significant value in Alberta's uh, carbon market. Right. Okay. Um, talk to us a little bit about that carbon market while, while we're on the topic. If that's a provincial market. Like, what are the general frameworks and how that works? Yeah, so Alberta's had a carbon market uh, since July 1st, 2007. It was the first compliance market in the Americas. And it's been a very successful market, although in many respects, perhaps not well understood or, or even worse, not well known. The market has generated over 54 million credits. Uh, there's been about the same number of emission reductions that have occurred at facilities through technolo technological improvements um, at large facility levels. And in many of those facilities, they've actually reduced emissions below their targets. And the so this market's been very, very robust. Credit generation can occur from a wide variety of activities uh, in Alberta. 
from the agricultural sector, oil and gas sector, renewable energy sector. It's, 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 there's a, a number of different ways in which credits can be generated. And when you look at the value of this market, at, at 54 million offsets or credits having been developed at a $20 price per ton, which is well below what the market is today, it's a billion dollar plus market. And what's particularly interesting is Alberta created this market and there was money that was, I'll call them penalty payments that were flowing to government. And when the market started, that money was directed into uh, a specific fund now known as, uh, now run by Emission Reductions Alberta. And that money was invested in technologies and projects to further emission reductions uh, both in the province and abroad, right? So looking at technologies that, that could make substantive reductions in emissions. Was so we've the, seen reinvestment. Sorry? Was that the CCMC fund? So yep. Yeah, it was the CCMC, and now things keep changing, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> As governments change and things get renamed. But uh, Emission Reductions Alberta. So right now they have a... They have a call out for proposals to reduce emissions in the food, forestry, and agricultural sector. Okay. And people can apply with their ideas of, of how they might reduce emissions in that space. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's spurring a lot of thought and a lot of ideas and innovation. So it's been very, very successful. And the, and the, the market, is there a, a clearinghouse like how does i mean there's people generating offsets there's people that maybe need it for compliance like do people go through you or like how does that how does that yeah. work so there's generally they're they're bilateral agreements because there's a smaller number of project developers and and you know a small a reasonably small number of buyers uh, but they're bilateral agreements or brokered agreements and the development of the credits, uh, as I say, comes from lots of different lots of different sectors in the economy. We got our start in the agricultural sector, so we have about three thousand clients in the ag sector that we generate and sell credits for. And uh, you know, they get a they get checks uh, they get checks once a year, if you will, for for their credits. And on our oil and gas clients, a lot of them want these credits to use internally. Um, and, and in that case, they they will actually just take those credits and use them to meet compliance obligations. Okay. And, and my, um, I'm a product uh, of agriculture, so it always it, it ticks my uh, interest. How are the credits being generated in an agricultural operation? So there's a number of protocols that have been approved. Uh, right now, the majority of these are coming from what's known as a conservation cropping protocol and really it's a let's call it a sustainable agricultural practice but that protocol is slated to um, come to its end of life at the end of next year right and and from an additionality perspective there are also are protocols for nitrogen management although they're a little bit more complicated to to implement so haven't been widely used and then there's protocols around uh, manure, well, we'll just say methane abatement, if you will, from the agriculture, from the livestock sector. And, and as markets develop across Canada, some of these activities, not these specific protocols, but these emission reduction activities are likely going to be generating credits in other markets in Canada as well. 
So explain that for, for me and for those who are listening. Like we, we talk about this being around since 2007 and being predominantly Alberta-based um, and, and bilateral agreements within Alberta. You know, we've heard, I think there was a, a, an, ex, an exchange like based in Chicago, but I mean, this is becoming more and more like, is it a credit, a credit, a credit? Like, can you start to think about a, a credit offset in Alberta that can transfer to Ontario or like how does that as you start to grow the the sphere of the, the markets like how does that yeah. okay well we'll open up that can of worms and then let's <laughs> see how far we dig into it people uh, people need to understand that there's there's really two fundamental ways to price emissions there's a tax which is what we have in Canada under the Liberal government. We have a carbon tax that applies to to small businesses and us as individuals when we're we're fueling our car, unless you've got an electric car. Um, and then there's a, a, a pricing mechanism that encompasses really really big companies that are emitting lots of uh, emissions into the atmosphere. And in, for those really big companies, rather than just collect a, a tax, if you will, a government can put in a market framework which allows companies to invest in equipment to reduce emissions at their own facilities. But if that's not economically viable, invest in projects outside of their business that will reduce emissions and really they're doing that through the uh, by purchasing carbon credits because the credit is a unit of measure that that's used to to measure that emission reduction in Canada under the federal government's pricing scheme there are two elements to it there's the, the carbon tax and then there's a, a something that's known as the output-based pricing system. And this is, in fact, going to be a federal carbon market. And the federal government is now, has now identified some priority areas or activities that credits will be generated from. And these are agricultural, forestry, and waste. And they are developing protocols uh, that will be used to create credits, which can be sold to any emitter that needs those credits within Canada. That's sort of the Canadian the Canadian context, very, very simply, right? Yeah. When you look at the international space, it becomes uh, more complicated, uh, but there are emerging markets, uh, emerging global markets, uh, or specifically in the airline sector, yeah. um, where, Airlines are supposed to uh, offset growth in emissions post 2020 out, uh, to offset emissions of the, the increasing air travel. Uh, the shipping industry is looking at a similar structure or similar market. And then there's a plethora of markets in place at the national and subnational level around the world or different pricing initiatives. And then layered on top of that is the, the, the goals of the Paris Agreement to really create a fully fungible international market where a credit developed in Chile might be used by someone in Canada to meet an emission reduction obligation here. Mm -hmm. But I'd suggest that that's a little bit farther away. 
so we tend to focus on what we can do now in existing markets and where we have clarity around what's going on. And, and I don't, I don't get too, too worried about the complexities of the emerging international market space. I'll let people much smarter than me worry about that. So in kind of summary there, there's this mature, stable, um, albeit perhaps under-promoted um, market framework in Alberta. Uh, there is a an emerging market framework Canada-wide, albeit doesn't maybe have enough definition or, or additional definition would be welcomed. And so for, for those who are, are listening, there, there, there will be a time or there is a time now or, or shortly where you know, uh, an emission reduction in Alberta could result in a, a credit, um, you know, in, in, in Ontario if it was needed. That, that, that time is, is here or is coming shortly? It's coming. It's, it, it's coming. We need the, the people uh, in the government are, are working hard on this, right? And I, I think we're 12 to 24 months away from real clarity. But there are certainly organizations like our own that are looking at what do we do today to, to be well positioned to participate in that market as soon as we get clarity. And that, that's investing in, in people, it's investing in resources, and, and even potentially investing in projects early on that are going to generate these emission reductions. And I can say that, you know, we've had discussions with these large emitters that are looking two or three years down the road and are going, we're going to need these credits. Where can we start to get them today? I see. Right. And, and that, that begs the question, do credits have a shelf life? Credits do have a shelf life, uh, and again, the, the, the shelf life of the credits will depend on the rules uh, of the jurisdiction that they're within. Uh, in Alberta, it's, it's nine years, and the federal government has proposed something similar to that. Uh, historically, in Alberta, at one time, we didn't have a shelf life on the credits, and what we saw were... Uh, activities which you really want in a market I think where people were buying these credits and investing in these credits and investing in them to to, to take advantage of an increasing value right in those credits over time so today in Alberta credits are selling for 25 to 28 dollars each uh, because the federal government of Canada has announced they're going to increase the price on carbon from, or the tax, let's just talk about the tax, from $30 a ton to $40 a ton and then to $50 a ton, there is a, it is expected, right, and modeled that the value of these carbon credits are going to increase as that pricing increases as well. So if you buy a carbon credit today for $25, you know what? In two years or three years, you might be able to sell it at forty or forty-five dollars. Right, right. Because right? At, that, at that time, you will be able to trade that against whatever the government rate is, which is presumably higher. Correct. Yeah. So, if you're a large final emitter where you have a compliance obligation, you can be buying credits now, and we'll just say at twenty-five dollars. Uh, and that's again, I'm using that to, as an example more than an indicative price, but. Uh, buying the credit for $25 today, and then it will have a value in three years of $50 when you retire it for the government. 
So it, right. it's almost like buying a stock. There's a buy and a hold potential. Uh, it's a commodity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a commodity. Yeah, interesting. It's a commodity. And what happens now because of this is that the fact that you've got this commodity is you're now able to drive investment in emission reduction activities that will actually generate these commodities. Okay. So in our organization internally, we look at actually investing in the capital infrastructure that's required to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in exchange for the carbon credit stream. Mm. Right? And so if I, if I go back to the oil and gas sector, Right. If there's a piece of equipment that costs, we'll say, $40,000, but is going to reduce uh, CO2 emissions by or methane emissions by the equivalent amount of, say, 500 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per year, well, if I put a $30 value on that, right, it's $15,000. Mm -hmm. right? And if I generate those credits over three years, you know, I'm at a $45,000 value, right? If I can sell those credits for more, that piece of equipment generates more than 500 tons a year, you start to see how this, this opportunity can spur investment. And there's significant opportunities, I think, that are going to come to light, if you will, or get implemented. In, in different areas. One of the organizations that we're doing some work with has developed a, a landfill cover, like for, for a traditional landfill, but it's a landfill uh, a bio cover to go over small landfills or medium-sized landfills, and this cover contains bacteria, methanogens, that eat methane as it's seeping up out of the landfill, and in their pilot project, they're reducing methane emissions by upwards of 90%. Wow. So if you go to a small town or community, right, where they've got a regional waste management authority, and they're closing these, these landfills, if they're too small to, to mine the methane or recover the methane, rather than just sit there and emit the methane, if they invest in this new landfill cap technology or if a company's like, company like us invests in that landfill technology, cap technology, we can reduce those methane emissions, convert them into credits and sell them into the market to help pay for that cost or recover that investment cost and profit out of it at the same time. Right, right. So... Um, so for you guys, not only do you provide a service to kind of set a baseline, look at reductions and broker the credits, but you also, when you guys see an opportunity, you'll take an equity stake in a, in a project or you'll invest in return for a poor yeah. stream of the reductions. Very cool. Yeah, we can do that. And, and so we, we would talk a bit about technology, but I mean, you can you... There's a space where you can you can generate credits from changes in behavior as well, or or have we tackled most of those low hanging fruit as a as an industry? Oh, I don't think we've tackled all the low hanging fruit. I I think there, there's low hanging fruit that's certainly been tackled. Um, when we talk about behavioral change of individuals, it's it's much more complicated to generate those those credits on an individual basis because of costs. I mean, there are ways we can do it, but, it, but it's a bit more complicated. But I think what's interesting in the markets is you're continuing, we're continuing to see innovation around emission reductions because of the values that are occurring. There's 
uh, there's a, a company in Alberta that is pulling CO2 out of um, uh, emissions, like uh, combusted emissions as, as they're going up the stack. They're pulling out CO2 and, and turning it into like a, uh, I'm going to call it like a soda ash or a potash. It's not potash, but it's a type of ash, and they're now making soap out of it. Wow. Right, So they're capturing those emissions and, and creating soap. There are people deploying equipment um, to replace generators. So they actually have solar-powered, portable solar-powered, sorry, they have portable uh, solar power generation with a backup uh, backup power supply. In one case, it's a, a methanol-fueled um, fuel cell. So they'll generate power through solar. When there's not enough, the fuel cell can kick in and provide that backup power. Now you're replacing diesel. Yeah. And then you're getting people looking at for remote communities in Canada that rely on very, very expensive diesel that has to be flown in or shipped in. How do we convert that? Or is there a way to produce renewable energy sources or biofuel sources? So there's a lot of interesting activity going on in this sector from, I'll say, an R&D perspective. And then the question becomes is, will those R&D activities result in emission reductions that can be converted into credits? Right, right. And are you seeing, um, well, before I go there, one, one question I had as you were talking about this, like, if you, if you invest capital, um, you know, we often talk about a 10-year, 15-year, 20-year life of an asset. You know, how, is there a, a decrease in terms of the credits that, that can be counted against that investment? How does that time dimension work? Like, do you just pull credits out of that investment forever or how does no, that you, work? You can't pull credits out of the investment forever. Um, the I, I'm going to speak specifically to the Alberta context, yeah. but in Alberta, if, if you put a project in place to reduce emissions in order to generate credits, that activity um, can't be required by law or by regulation. So it's an activity that's done voluntarily to reduce those emissions, and it has to be above business as usual, right? So LED lights, that's business as usual, right? Uh, a combined heat and power plant in a in a community center or a mall, that's not business as usual, right? Uh, if we look at a specific example, in Alberta, we can generate credits for people that are investing in renewable energy projects, such as solar or wind. So someone who's putting up a, uh, a large solar facility will... And, maybe it's not large, let's say a 20 megawatt solar facility, that facility would likely generate somewhere in the order of 25,000 carbon credits a year. 20, Yeah, 20,000 to 25,000 carbon credits per year, right? So that look, you look at that value of what that is at $30 a ton, and they can notionally generate those credits for a period of eight years in the Alberta system. That's the crediting period. At that, the end of that eight-year period, they can apply for an additional five-year crediting period, but the government will take a review of the project and determine whether or not it's still additional or whether it's just a common business practice. Uh -huh. Because 
the, the, the whole issue with carbon credits, it's not a license to print credits. It's, uh, it's an activity that carbon credits exist to generate revenues for innovative technologies that are making emission reductions that are go beyond uh, business as usual, right? So it's for people who are early actors in the play in, in, a, in a space are able to create those credits and, and reap the reward for doing that. So on that, you, know, you mentioned CHP a little bit, which is an area that, from which we kind of get our roots. Um, in the Alberta context specifically, does a CHP, like a natural gas fuel CHP, uh, does that still qualify as an emissions reduction because you're displacing, you know, electricity generated from coal in the Alberta context? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. The the simple answer is maybe, <laughs> but it's really more complicated than that. If um, if a small business, so we, we've we've actually uh, had some of our large farm clients uh, put CHP units in on on the farm because they are uh, because they are paying tax a carbon tax on coal-fired electricity or if they had a diesel generator they're paying uh, a tax on that diesel the fact of the matter is is they put in uh, a natural gas CHP unit they're actually lowering the amount they're paying in that carbon tax so they can't generate a credit large industry that is actually falls under the market um, they can generate something that's known as an emission performance credit because they're not covered by the tax. There is a, a bit of a gray area in the sense of the ability to uh, generate credits from waste heat recovery from the CHP, right? So what are you doing to create that with that waste heat? But the, the carbon tax, right, has, has impacted the ability of organizations to generate credits because now when they make that investment in that technology, they're actually lowering the amount of carbon tax money that they would be paying, so they can't claim the credit. I see, I see, interesting. Um, you mentioned waste heat recovery. The, the, the federal platform uh, that is being worked on, it, one of the protocols, if I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's got a bit of a gap, right? Because I think for like a large institution, there's no kind of credit for waste heat recovery. Is that is that still a, a maybe you're not as intimately familiar with that piece of it, but um, it, it just popped into my head as we were talking about waste heat recovery. But I think if it's a process, if it's a heat for a process, you can count it. But if it's like the we're doing a project right now at the Foothills Medical Center, and that 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 heat that gas attributable to the heat or the emissions reduction can't qualify as part of the protocol, but they maybe haven't had exposure to that part yet. Yeah, you know, I can't comment on that intelligently, so I, I'm not going to say anything. So I'd probably get it wrong. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, <laughs> when we when we talk about CHP or, or other forms of generation, um, what do you what are you seeing, or, or what do you potentially see as you know from a we talk about going from coal to natural gas, but we're we're, we're seeing projects develop with renewable natural gas or biogas or even hydrogen. I mean that. That, that changes the game from an emissions perspective even further, doesn't it? 
Oh, no question. No question. And I think that, like anything else, right, the, the, whether it's through renewable natural gas or hydrogen, I think those new fuel types, it's going to become a question of, of costs and overcoming costs or, or adoption barriers. Right now, we see the development of renewable natural gas projects of a significant value within the Canadian context. The the other element of this, which we haven't talked about, but to, to add more complexity to what's already in many ways a very, very complex topic, you get into the federal government's clean fuel standard. So the government's clean fuel standard is one where they're effectively trying to drive down the carbon intensity of fuels in general, so liquid fuels. Um, and if you have a gas like hydrogen, Right, and you're powering a fleet of vehicles with hydrogen. Well, you don't have any carbon emissions from the, the combustion of that fuel, so the carbon intensity is, I'm going to suggest, zero. Uh, so there could be a strong, uh, a, a real value to that. But we're also looking at now biofuels. Mm -hmm. right? So, what biofuel production, uh, a mixing of these biofuels, that's an area that's still of significant interest, um, I think, to the energy companies. Uh, now you run into different issues around supply. Do you have enough feedstock, right, eligible feedstock to create a biofuel that the government will give credits on? So I, I think we're going to see a, a ton of really interesting, innovative projects for energy production. I mean, hydrogen is going to be one. Um, where you're so hydrogen production and if you're using electrolysis to create the hydrogen and you're doing it through sort of uh, concentrated solar there's some projects in australia that have been looking at that there's some technology about extracting hydrogen out of out of wells oil wells i'm not sure i fully understand that i think there's interesting opportunities that we're going to start to see around geothermal especially and perhaps more remote remote communities you know, you, you go and you look at uh, opportunities around um, communities that are that are surrounded by the ocean. Uh, you know, we haven't cracked tidal power. It's still super expensive. But there's some really interesting technology that's been developed to uh, compress, use, use the power of ocean waves to compress air. Mm. Like giant bicycle pumps in the ocean that compresses the air. You can store it on land. And if you've got compressed air at a thousand psi, you can desalinate water, mm. right? When you that air is is decompressed, you've got cooling. You could use it to run generators potentially. So there's technologies that you could deploy in some of these South Pacific islands where they're dependent on desalinations run by diesel with significant emissions to go to a much greener, cleaner. Um, way to, to do the desalination and, and generate power as well using the power of ocean waves is it a done deal is it commercial pretty close in some places yeah cool and and so as we broaden the kind of possibilities and as we dream about what um you know what might come how does the system work in terms of like you you and i can look at a project and we can say okay that project is you know, definitely reducing emissions. Let, let's take uh, something that's near and dear to my heart because of really in my career doing, you know, let's take a, an agricultural 
biogas project that's making RNG. So you're stacking, you know, you're, you're, you're no longer emitting methane from the manure, you're capturing it, you're injecting RNG, you're displacing, uh, you know, some natural gas. Also. So you got this stack. And so we can look at that and say, yes, you're, you're reducing emissions, but in these different markets, does there have to be a, an approved protocol to, to facilitate that actually turning into a marketable, um, you know, credit? Like, is there, is there a concern that as the markets emerge and the technology develops that the regulations will lag the technology? Um, when you talk about the regulations lagging the technology, I, I think if we've got, um, if we have a market structure that's going to incent people to implement the technology, that technology is going to move fairly quickly into that space. If we're talking about regulatory management for health and safety issues, I think it would be pretty quick. If you're talking about regulations coming in and regulating the activity, right, um, that's very, very different. I, yeah, maybe you can elaborate on yeah, your... Yeah, maybe. maybe um, so, like... Is you could have ten different technologies generating emissions reductions, but does there have to be a protocol to to maybe I'm using the wrong term? It, it, okay, it, yeah, that's I understand. Yeah, sorry. So the if you want to generate a carbon credit to sell into a a, a government run market, a compliance market, you're going to need to use an approved protocol. Okay, that's what I was getting. Right. Yeah, okay, that's what you, you're going to need to use an approved protocol. If a protocol does not exist, it becomes a question of what's the effort to create that protocol to generate the emission reductions from those activities. So in that case, yeah, technology can certainly be far ahead of protocol development. And that's something that I think every every government or every every carbon market needs to be be working on about how do we get these protocols approved in in a much more timely fashion okay. right um and we're talking it, it can take years yeah. to, to get a protocol approved right and and every year that we we're not making emission reductions is a lost opportunity to generate emission reductions yeah but it's important that we develop protocols that are based on sound science and so that we are actually paying people for real emission reductions Right. right now, where it gets particularly interesting in this space is as corporations have sort of charged ahead in some respects about trying to drive emission reductions down, a lot of corporations are looking at how do I reduce emissions in my supply chain? Mm. So this is particularly of interest in, in the food production, right? Uh, and now we, we dovetail or we slide into sustainable supply chain initiatives and actually trying to companies trying to understand what the carbon footprint is associated with the materials that they're utilizing to produce produce their products. It's interesting out in in uh, out in Washington the state of Washington, Microsoft is building a new campus. And it's my understanding that they're actually trying to price carbon into the procurement strategy for the materials that are being used to build their campus. Wow. So if you're a cement producer and you can demonstrate that your CO2 footprint per cubic yard of cement is lower than the competitors, uh, 
maybe you get preferential treatment or maybe you get paid a bit more for that. Mm. And the fact that organizations like Microsoft are doing that, it becomes really interesting. If you look at Mars, the food company, you know, privately held company, they've allocated a billion dollars towards sustainable supply chain initiatives. So we're starting to see corporations take a bit of a leadership role, and I'd argue they're out ahead of the regulations, right, trying to drive change, which makes for really interesting and exciting exciting times so and makes it a really interesting space to be in. Well, you, so you, yeah, that was, that was one of the questions I had written down on my notes as we're talking is, is if you're seeing, you know, this triple bottom line or whatever you want to call it in the corporate world, uh, you know, outpacing, you know, the, you know, doing the right thing, outpacing kind of big brother saying you have to do it. And it, and it, and it appears to, to be from your vantage point that you are seeing that. Yeah, I, I really, a really interesting there's something very interesting that's happening in the U.S. right now. So in the United States, they there have been organizations trying to create credits out of the agricultural sector in the U.S. for a long time now. And three or four years ago, the activity really dropped off. It was really, really hard to do. Um, now we see organizations like Nori and Indigo Ag and Ecosystem Services Marketplace and the Climate Action Reserve and the Verified Carbon Standard back in that space pushing really hard for protocols that, became, that can be used in the agricultural sector. And you look at uh, Bayer, right, which has made their, their uh, emission reduction commitments globally, and they too are pushing into this space because their clients are the ones who can benefit from this. Mm. And I believe what we're starting to see is we're seeing um, organizations that are serving farmers uh, that provide services to them going, well, wow, how am I going to provide or can I provide some kind of service to help farmers benefit from these carbon markets because if i'm a if i'm a, a an ag service provider and i can help a farmer mm. earn a little bit of money from their carbon credits really from a business perspective it makes sense for me to reach out to help them and help them try and do that yeah right and and that what we're seeing in the u.s is we're seeing industry pushing that market forward in the u.s well ahead of of any state or federal government initiatives hmm. wow and, and that's because the corporations are creating kind of this suction of the, they they need the emissions reductions and so then they're the value chain to kind of get that from where the emission can, reduction can occur all the way up to the corporation that's just kind of it's the 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 the, the free market is, is creating that value chain is that right it, it's creating the value chain but i also think that there are organizations out there that are looking at these emerging markets and they're not looking at them as a, a cost burden, mm. they're looking at them as a business opportunity. So if we look uh, globally at this construct of, of natural climate solutions, which is very much in the news these days, and you look at the commitments of some, that some of the energy companies have made to make substantial, substantial investments in natural climate solutions, so some sort of naturally occurring activity, well, there's likely to be augmented that's going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Historically, most of that work has been focused on 
uh, forestry projects, avoided conversion of forests or avoided conversion of natural landscapes. But now we're getting into the activities of restorative activities. What does it take to restore a natural landscape? What does it take to restore a forest? But then also, how do we how do we go out into the agricultural sector and make them uh, turn them into beneficiaries of and that's probably the right how how do we how do we take our farmers which in some respects are portrayed as villains right because they're cutting down trees to to grow um, into the heroes because people are saying that the agricultural sector has a massive opportunity to sequester carbon in the soil right or we can do things differently and reduce emissions right um, so a, a farmer is probably stuck in you know as I say on the one hand they're trying to feed the world and on the other hand there are people that are saying you've got to save the world too and, and they're kind of they're, they're in this weird place in between this, this is what I see right? yeah yeah um, and this is why companies are, are starting to step up and going okay well how do, how do we do this and how do we how do we help change the way we are it doesn't matter whether we're talking about producing fuel whether it's the way we're producing food or whether the way it's we're producing clothing, how do we change the behaviors in those production in those production activities so that they're being produced in a much more sustainable manner? And then does that drive to the triple bottom line, which we talk about as people, planet, and prosperity, hmm. right? Because they are very much interlinked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow, that's. That's that's deep. I'm not even sure where to go from that. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's 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 a fascinating time to kind of be in the market, and and I think you know um, I've appreciated this discussion because you've taken you know I don't think we covered a single question in in the prep notes, but um, you know that, that that's okay because it's you've you've taken you've kept us at this higher level, which is extremely important to. You know, we are in a world of 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 transition, and we, and we, as we're seeing in the last four months, we're an incredibly, you know, despite what people would like to say, we're an incredibly globally connected world, and 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 emissions is such a, a testament to that, right? We emit carbon today, and I'm I'm no meteorologist, but it's one big, you know, globe, right? And so all of us need to find our space in that value chain um, in terms of, you know, what can we do to, to reduce these emissions? And, you know, it's, it's great to hear about a story like um, Alberta where you guys have been, you guys have been doing it for a long time now, you know, and, 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 you know, how do we get that story out as like, like, do you see from your vantage point, Alistair, do you see people looking at the Alberta model, those who are trying to adopt it elsewhere? Like, is it, is it, I mean, it may not be known, to the public, you know, as, you know, particularly in, in certain areas, but those who know, do they know that Alberta is a model to look towards for success? Uh, well, the people I talk to know, that's okay. for sure. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I'm going to say yes, right? People are starting to look to this market and to other markets to learn from them. I mean, I mean some of the work that was done in the carbon markets in Australia, right? They took a long, hard look at, at Alberta. Uh, I know right now that South Africa is looking at a market framework to create offsets. Um, I've been engaged with some webinar, webinars with uh, representatives of the South African government, and they're very interested in what Alberta's done. And I, I think not just on the agricultural side, 
but I think there's a massive opportunity to learn from what we've done uh, on this construct of what we call aggregated project development, where I can represent 3,000 individuals to generate their credits, mm. right? Yeah. Or, you know, in the oil and gas sector, we have over 15,000 uh, what we call sub-projects, where projects where emission reductions are occurring. And to be able to quantify those very, very small projects to aggregate up to the significant volumes that, that are, are of interest. And then I think what Alberta has done with the with what used to be the the CCMC, right, the Climate Change Emission Management Corporation and Fund, which is now Emission Reductions Alberta, and taking the revenue that's being generated from these markets um, or, or that's been collected by government and and pouring that back into technology companies, pouring that back into new efforts to drive new technology to to reduce emissions. And we see a lot of innovation as a result of that. Are there some examples of, of certain companies or technologies that are launching out of Alberta as a result? Yeah, I I, I, I can think of a number of them. Okay. Um, I'm not going to name them because no. I'm going to miss somebody and then yeah, I'm going to yeah. get a nasty email. But there's certainly technologies uh, in the oil and gas sector, even around detecting fugitive methane emissions, and, and that's happening everywhere around the globe. There's lots of Canadian companies working in that, from satellite organizations to drones to, to on the hand, you know, handheld LIDAR solutions. There are some interesting solutions that have been generated, come out of BC with respect to some of the ocean power work. Mm. Uh, there's another technology that's been coming out of BC that does work with uh, manure management, and it's actually taking uh, manure that's come out of the digesters, which still can emit a lot of methane and stopping that process, and then creating a, a fertilizer product out of it that can be put into seeding equipment. Um, the landfill, the evapotranspirative landfill biocover, that's the technical name for this biocover, mm. that's coming out of Alberta, um, or from an, a, my understanding is it's coming out of Alberta. So there's a lot of interesting organizations, instrument air systems for the, the oil and gas sector, and, and, and the, list goes, the list goes on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. No, that's... And, and, and I think it's important to tell that story. It's, it's one thing to, you know, reduce the um, emissions and that's important and to drive, you know, economics through, but then to have these spin-off, you know, R&D and innovation success stories. I mean, that that's that's really, really exciting stuff. So, Alistair, this has been a delight. Um, what's the best way uh, for people to find yourself and your team, um, you know, and people who want to start down this journey of uh, reducing emissions? How, how can they get a hold of you guys? Well, they, they can certainly get to us by going to the website, which is radicalbalance.com. But it's not radical as in a radical protester, but it's radical as in R-A-D-I-C-L-E. And if, if they radicalbalance.com uh they can certainly reach out to me on linkedin okay um very active on linkedin and responding and uh, if they want to phone me they can go to the website and they have to do a little bit of work and, and uh, phone the office number and uh punch my name in and it will get to me eventually so awesome but we're all, we're on the social media place and i'm always interested in chatting to people about this and opportunities and uh also talking to people, I'll say providing an educational over, overview of the markets and the opportunities and what it means, because I think it's a great way for us to to move to a, a cleaner, greener future. Well, I, 
I mean, I love how you finished that. I mean, the education piece, you've given an hour of your time. I'm sure you're, um, you know, very, very busy, but you've given an hour of, of your time to educate me, um, which is the the unspoken goal of Energy Radio is to, is to educate me as an individual and then also our <laughs> listener. Um, so, Alistair, this has been a delight. I'm, I'm smarter for it. Um, so thank you for your time. And uh, um, I want to thank uh, Mark, our guy behind the glass, and, and Lisa Barber, our executive producer. Um, my name is Matt Lensing. This has been episode 32 of Energy Radio. Thank you, and, and we'll uh, talk again soon.